0: I'm Kent Garrett. Welcome to another edition of the Last Negroes at Harvard daily podcast. This morning, we do something different. This morning's edition is turned over to the Breakfast Club Power 105.1 FM radio show. Early this morning, the Breakfast Club host did a powerful interview with author, activist, and television personality Mark Lamont Hill. Hill spoke about the war in Gaza as well as the connections between blacks and Palestine. Take a listen.
1: Wake that ass up in the morning. The Breakfast Club.
2: Morning, everybody. It's DJ NV Charlemagne the Guy. We are the Breakfast Club. We got a special guest in the building. Yes, indeed. We got the brother Mark Lamont Hill. Morning. Morning, y'all.
1: Now, now uh, last hour, we had Jonathan Greenblatt here, the mm-hmm. head of the ADL. And, um, you know, of course, he's, he's, he's I, I would say pro-Israel. That's safe to say, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's yeah. Yes. And, you know, Mark, I was thinking about all the people that I know who've been to Israel, been to Pakistan, who've been speaking about this issue for, for a long, long time. time. For a long time. Mark, yeah. is, Mark has not only just been one of them, Mark has taken bullets, you know, for, for, for speaking out and being mm. pro-Palestine. Yeah. So what did you think? Or is that too broad a question?
3: I, I, I'll say one thing. Mm-hmm. There, there are some points where... where... Well, but
2: Before we go there, can, can, we, can you detail people of what's going on there from your view? Because you were there... Oh, get to that. Let Then no, he can talk about that so no, people let, can understand. No, reply to Jonathan first. Because well, people well, they, might they, not know. This is a new okay. hour. They might not know what's okay. going on. Well, they, they, but connect. They, they
3: connect because Jonathan is replying to um, the events that have taken place in Israel and in Gaza mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. the last week or two. Correct. And I think where he and I agree... Mm -hmm. is that this is an awful and unprecedented tragedy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's no way to even wrap your mind fully around what it means for over a thousand people to be killed.
2: Correct. Um,
3: The attacks that happened in Israel were devastating. Um, As someone who believes in justice and as someone who believes in human rights and as someone who believes that international law and rules of war have to be followed, I would say, and I'm speaking for me, and, and lots of other people, but I'm only representing my opinion right now, um, that Hamas's attack was a violation of international law. Mm-hmm. Um, as an organization rooted in Islamic principles, um, it's also a violation of religious law uh, to attack civilians, to attack innocents, even in times of war. Mm-hmm. Um, if I took the law off the table, just basic decency, mm-hmm. I would say, this is awful.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So we agree on that. hmm where we disagree very quickly is how we make sense of how we got here and what we do moving forward. Mm-hmm. History didn't start on October 7th and oftentimes we see this in the United States when a target gets blown up or, 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 or set on fire mm-hmm. or a, a police car gets flipped over or whatever. We, whether we agree or disagree with the action, at that moment, the media starts to say, look at these animals. Look at these savages. I can't believe they did that. And if you were to come up from another planet and watch this, you would think that history started on Ferguson the night that sh- shit w- got set on fire. Mm-hmm. You would think that the world just started at these moments when, in fact, there's a long history that gets you there. Mm-hmm. Um, Israel has been an apartheid state since 1948.
1: Mm-hmm. So 75 years.
3: Yeah, 75 yeah. years. It has been uh an occupying power since 1967 Mm -hmm. right 56 years yeah and it has been it has held the gazan people in particular under siege since 2006 17 years going on 18 in january Mm -hmm. so these are the things that get you there and the people of gaza are catching hell this isn't ordinary hell this isn't normal just inequality. we're talking about not having access to clean water which oh, potable water right uh, n- not having access uh to schools being constantly under siege where you're getting bombed you're getting shot at you're you're vulnerable to premature death every single day this is what they're dealing with for the last 17 uh years and so when hamas emerges and engages in this act of violence which is not excusable cuz mm-hmm. i don't want everybody's going to say well he's trying to excuse this. i'm not excusing i'm saying it's inexcusable mm-hmm. right But we have to understand where it starts and when you put people in an open-air prison which is what gaza is it's an open-air prison
1: you 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 have to expect people to respond at some point so whose fault is the condition Gaza in? is it hamas because hasn't hamas been in control since 06 so is it hamas yeah i mean it's
3: it's 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 the right question right and and what jonathan would say what a lot of pro-israel folk would say is well you know all the jewish settlers left in 2005 Mm -hmm. and hamas took over in 2006 and therefore, whatever happens, that's on y'all.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Problem is, Palestinians have not had one minute, not one minute of self-determination in those 17 years. In other words, yeah, they left. It's, it would be like if you were in a prison and they say, OK, all the guards left. But you're still in prison. We're still on the, on the border of the prison. You still can't get out of the prison. Right. You still don't have any more food and we control it. Right. God, Israel controls Gaza by land, by air and by sea. It controls the population registry. It controls the electromagnetic sphere. It controls everything that goes in and everything that goes out. It is military. It is effectively controlling or effectively occupying Gaza just from the outside. Mm -hmm. And so, no, they haven't had an opportunity for self-determination. They haven't had an opportunity to build. They are under occupation in a different way. The, but the same as the people in the West Bank. And so it is a very, very, very different situation. That's not to say that Hamas is perfect. Mm-hmm. There are lots of stuff about Hamas I disagree with. I disagree with religious rule in general. And Hamas is rooted, again, they, they come from, as, as Jonathan accurately said, their roots are in the Islamic brotherhood mm-hmm. of Egypt, and they do have a, 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 a vision of freedom that is rooted in Islamic principles. I happen to disagree with, with religious governments. I agree with that. There's other critiques they have. There's critiques they have of every government, mm-hmm. right? But it's important to acknowledge that Hamas is a government. Mm-hmm. And you can't have it both ways. Sometimes they'll say, "Well, Hamas is a terrorist organization. You can't talk to them. You can't deal with them. You can't do this. You can't do this." And that kind of language makes it impossible to have a diplomatic or political solution. They make it seem as if the only thing you can do is, is blow them up because they're not a they're not a government. They're not a government.
1: I wonder about that too when it comes to Hamas because you know they, they say they're a government, but their charter just says they want to destroy Israel and kill Jewish people. So it's like, can you negotiate with somebody if that's literally your charter? That's an that's interesting question.
3: Um, a couple of things. Um, Hamas starts in 1987 um, as a, again, Jonathan said that accurately. They, they started in 1987 as a nationalist group. Um, their goal was the liberation of the entire land of, of Palestine. At some point, they got to a space where they wanted to also be involved in politics. So, so 1987 is a very different moment than 2005 2006 when they when they when they ran in these elections when they ran apart in these elections against Fatah at that moment their goal was still a a free Palestine it, that for them meant uh getting rid of what they call the Zionist entity it did mean um a certain kind of vision of freedom that did not include the State of Israel as as a Jewish state right um but Hamas, over time, was willing to have a unity government with the Palestinian Authority, with the Fatah in particular. They were willing to uh, engage in, in diplomatic relations, and it's dishonest to suggest that they haven't been engaged in Israel. That we can't talk to them. The Gaza, if, if Israel wanted to blow up all of all of Hamas and all the Gaza, they could have already done that, mm-hmm. right? But they've always worked with they've always worked with Hamas. They've always worked with them since 2006 to keep the perimeter steady because they don't want instability. They don't want five or six groups fighting. Right. So they've always negotiated with Hamas. So it's it's sort of dishonest to say that we just can't talk to them. I understand the concern that Hamas's vision of a of a solution for the political issue is different than Israel's solution for the political issue is different than the other party's solution for the political issues. Mm-hmm. That's fine. But but they're a democratically elected government and they have a right as a democratically elected government to uh to uh to negotiate and to have a, a worldview. And and Israel's a right to have theirs. But you can't undermine them as a government, even if we disagree with them. I might say that thing that happened on October 7th was an act of terrorism. Inexcusable. I would say that. I am saying that. But that does not mean that it's impossible to have a diplomatic or political solution to this problem. We cannot pretend that the only way to solve this issue is to just blow everything up and to just kill everybody. Let
2: me ask you a question. Now, Now you did say their attack was not by the rules, right, of, yeah. of war.
3: As, and neither are Israel's.
2: Right. So now with Israel talking and I guess sending flies and pamphlets out and says, you know, we're giving you 24, 48 hours to leave Gaza. Uh, we're going to start bombing Gaza. And I heard this this morning on the news that said, you know, the hospitals are saying we can't get out. We can't get these people out because by the time we try to get them out, they will die. Right. Yep. So if let's say uh, Hamas is not following the rules, a lot of people say, well, why should Israel follow the rules?
3: Well, if we follow the problem is if we follow that logic down. Let, let's say I concede both of those points. I don't, but let's say we. I did, right? <laughs> Then I could say, well, Hamas could say, well, we didn't have to play by the rules because Israel's had us under illegal occupation for, 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 for since 1967. Been, we've been under siege since 19 since since 19, we've been under siege since 2006 uh, six, seven. We've been we've we've been literally since 1948 kicked out of our homes. All the violations of international law. The right to return is international law. Palestinians can't go back to their homes. They were kicked. They were ethnically cleansed in in, in 1948 in the Nakba, right? And somebody in the in the Israeli Knesset, which is basically their, uh, Congress, said, we want to have another Nakba right now. So that's a violation of international laws. The targeting of civilians, the the, the, the refusal to um to provide uh, certain supplies as an occupying power is a violation of international laws. Right now, collectively punishing all Palestinians for the act of Hamas is a gross violation of international law and rules of war. Mm-hmm. Forced transfer of people from one place to another, expulsion, is a violation of the rules of war. And even Jonathan is saying they want to have a humanitarian corridor in the Egypt. Mm-hmm. That's out of their country. Mm-hmm. That is another neck, But that's exactly what happened. Now you got refugees before the plan is to put them out. It's not to bring them back. So yeah, the idea to say that, well, yeah, Israel shouldn't play by rules because Hamas doesn't. Well, if you play that game, the original rule breaker mm-hmm. is, is Israel by international law and by all historical standards. So they don't want they don't play that game. But I don't think we should play that game. I think at all moments we should do the most ethical, the most just, the most fair, the most humane thing that is possible. And that right now is a ceasefire. That right now is a return of all hostages. I'm talking to Hamas now, right? Mm-hmm. A, re- a return of all hostages from Hamas. It's 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 stopping all violence, right? And it's coming up with a political solution that allows Palestinians to stay in their home. It is not yelling out as 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 uh, members of uh, the Israeli government have said, "We're going to shrink the size of Gaza because you can't you can't start a war with Israel and, and leave with with the same amount of land that you started with." Taking land by force is a violation of international law. Mm-hmm. Occupying, occupying land since 1967, violation, right? I mean, all, everything here is a violation. 18 human rights organizations, before all this started, agreed, including Israeli human rights organizations like B'Tselem, agreed that Israel is an apartheid state. And it's been an apartheid state. So somehow the global community standing up and being outraged at what happened in Israel, that makes sense to me. But what doesn't make sense to me is how we weren't outraged the day before when these things were happening to Palestinian people. And for the last 75 years, they've been happening to Palestinian people. And it doesn't make sense to me why right now we're not equally disgusted that over 700 at this point, I think it's even 800 Palestinian children have been killed in the last week. We changed the whole world for Ukraine. And Russia killed about 450 of those children over the
2: course of a whole year. So, what, what is your thoughts with the U.S. you know bringing the largest aircraft carrier or ship out to to show support of Israel? What What are your thoughts on that? What you're saying with all the things nobody said anything beforehand, but now it seems like they're getting support of the U.S. What, what's your thoughts? Right. on and
3: that? Right, and part of, part of, part of the problem is a lot of us were right. Three point six or three point eight billion dollars a year goes from from the United States to Israel. We fund the occupation, and that's why Americans. If y'all wondering why you should care, because you pay for it. Right? This could not happen without anybody else's help but the U.S. The U.S. has offered weapons. They've offered weapons to make sure that Israel always has the best weapons. They call a qualitative edge. They've, they've made sure that technologies uh, come through. We support this thing. What the U.S. is doing right now with the aircraft carrier is a very small drop in the bucket compared to what the U.S. has done, not since 1948, but certainly since the 1960s and 19, really the 1970s. Uh, it, with regard to support for Israel. And, and, and that's the thing we should be outraged about. We should be outraged at Biden's response. We should be outraged by many members of the U.S. Congress's response. We should be outraged by lots of people. Again, you should have been outraged when those innocent Israeli children were killed. Their lives are worth something. They're worth the same as Palestinian because their lives are worth something. Mm-hmm. All of our lives are worth something, right? But the outrage can't just be for Israeli kids. It got to be for kids in in Palestine. It got to be for kids in Armenia. It got to be for kids in China. I mean, everywhere. But in this issue, it got to be for everybody on the table. Do you think it's because people are seeing it right now? But they're seeing Palestinian kids die. You know what it is? It's the language that we use. They they use a language of even when Jonathan was talking uh, respectfully, there was a way that we start to talk about this is barbaric. Right. When you start using Mm -hmm. words like barbaric, when you start to frame people as subhuman or inhuman, that is a deep problem. Now, Jonathan uh,
1: Goldblatt. Greenblatt, Greenblatt, excuse me.
3: Jonathan Greenblatt rightly pointed out that there's a long history he alluded to, there's a long history of Jewish people being constructed as subhuman and as animals. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a disgusting anti-Semitic trope that helped animate the forces of the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. We don't want to ever go back there. But we also don't want to transfer that to Palestinian people or to Arabs mm-hmm. and when you start calling them barbarians and when you start hearing these uh, extraordinary and uh, to some of them unsubstantiated point, uh, claims about babies being beheaded what it does is it creates a kind of outrage at Arabs and at Palestinians and at brown people more broadly mm-hmm. that then makes barbaric responses seem justified but I want to be clear it's not just that I disagree with disproportionate force it is illegal to engage in disproportionate force, there is a law of proportionality in international law. That is to say that I can only use force to the extent that it that it engage that it that it fulfills my military uh, uh, mission. In other words, if if we're at war and you shoot at me and I shoot, I can't shoot that, the whole block up. Mm-hmm. I can't. I, that's just common hood sense. Like you can't just shoot up the whole block because you got beef with one person. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you can't right. And international law p- protects that logic, and asserts that logic. And so what Israel has done is is engage in a disproportionate force. You you kill us, we're going to kill all of y'all. We're going to wipe them off the map. They mm-hmm. said we're going to knock them back three generations. We're going to turn Gaza to tents. These are all quotes that we're hearing. And the problem is, if you think that they're animals anyway, then it's a lot easier to do. It's just like when you hear that prisoners are starving. Mm-hmm. No one says. Oh, people are oh, going. They're prisoners. They don't deserve. You know, they're not, They're unsafe. Oh well. You know, blah blah blah. Because we've decided that they don't deserve the same thing as everybody else, mm-hmm. right? We can't think like that. Palestinian lives are worth just as much as Israeli lives. And until we recognize that and own that in policy, then we're going to continue to see the kind of force that we're using. And that's why I don't like this narrative of those animals, those barbarians, mm-hmm. those uncivilized people. No, they're civilized people who can be engaged through diplomacy, through through politics, through legal solutions, just like everybody else.
1: What's the difference between uh, Hamas and just citizens of Palestine? Well, Hamas is a
3: political party. Okay. You know, and and they also have a, a kind of armed wing that is a little more extreme. But the Palestinian people haven't had a chance to vote for Hamas. So I don't know what they want. They, they won the election, I believe, for 44% of the vote in 2006. 49% of the, of the Gazan population is under 18. So imagine if 17, imagine if Donald Trump won the election in 2024, God forbid, mm-hmm. and then he decided, which is not completely implausible, that he's not leaving office. Oh, he's gonna do that. Right, but, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly, right? I, I agree. So so there's 17, at least on him winning part. Then 17 years later, he's still in office. You can't blame the people who never got a chance to vote for him. You can't blame anybody mm-hmm. for him being in office 17 years later if it's a four-year term. Mm-hmm. And so part of it is the everyday people of Gaza, I don't speak for them. I don't want to say whether they support Hamas or not, right? What I know is they want to be free and they know that the other party, uh, Fatah, has, has basically caved. They know the Palestinian Authority has, has doesn't represent their interests. They don't have a mandate either. And so it's very difficult to know what Palestinian people want. Let them have free and fair elections and then we can find out what they want. But in terms of the Palestinian people in general, they don't just live in Gaza. They live in the West Bank. They live in, in cities like Ramallah and Bethlehem. They they live in these cities, and they are under military occupation. What, what they did, and, and Jonathan talked about wanting a two-state solution. And again, there are lots of people who want a two-state solution. I don't oppose a two-state solution philosophically. Mm-hmm. But what they've effectively done since those Oslo Accords of 1993 is turn Gaza into a cage mm-hmm. and the West Bank into 228 separate ghettos so the palestinian people don't have unity they don't they they they're they're ruled by different parties area a they're ruled by palestinians area b there is coordinated with israel area c is all is all uh israeli control so even the part where they're supposed to be free they're not and 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 oslo was supposed to be an opportunity to work toward a two state solution but over the time as they're negotiating the area is getting smaller Palestinian freedom is getting smaller. Mm -hmm. Settlements are growing. I think I used this example before. It's like if you and I are arguing over how to divide a pizza, and as we argue over which way to split it, you keep eating slices, Mm -hmm. right? At some point, there's nothing left to to divide. And we say, well, now now there's two slices left. Well, let's split it, Mark. Well, I'd be like, fuck you, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Like, it's two left. And and that's basically what is happening right now in Palestine. Mm -hmm. And so Palestinian people are saying, look, we've been waiting. We, we 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 negotiated with Oslo, and it was it was a farce. What Nota al calls it a sovereignty trap. We tried to march and protest. They had a, a, a the great march of return in Gaza up to the undefined border of, of Israel, and from five hundred meters away, Israeli snipers were shooting down people, mm-hmm. picking them off like birds. They marched. They said, "Well, tell your story through media." My colleague at Al Jazeera, Shireen Abu Akhla, they killed her with the press jacket on. With no justice. They acknowledge, first they said a Palestinian killed it. Then they said, okay, we did it. Then they said it was an accident. Is there any justice? No. So, just like black folk here, your march, they say it's wrong. Your protest, you say it's wrong. Your boycott, the BDS movement, they, they, they've tried to criminalize, right? Which is a boycott, divestment, and sanction movement called by civil society Palestinian people saying, look, we got to do something different. So, every possible strategy has been met with resistance, has been met with criminalization, has been met with violence. And so when I see these awful events that again are inexcusable, they don't come from nowhere. They don't come from from from, from day one being October 7th. Mm-hmm. They come from day one, not even being 1948, but really day one being the late 19th century, late tw- late 20th century, late 19th century, excuse me, when we started to see Palestinian land being, being settler colonized.
2: You know, what is your thoughts on, you know, Jonathan was also upset with some chapters of Black Lives Matter supporting Black Lives Matter, Chicago. Chicago, yeah. It was a couple of chapters, actually, that were supporting Palestine and Hamas. What, what What's your thought on that? And the reason we're asking all these questions is because, you know, I'm not versed. I don't know if Charlemagne is versed, but... I'm you know. not versed. Mm-mm.
3: I think I, I... The one I saw in Chicago was the one with the...
1: The paraglider. Yeah, the paraglider.
3: And I I, I thought that was in poor taste. Um, again,
1: I don't... Because there was paragliders that came in and shot up the fence over the fence. Right.
3: And I don't sell I don't want to celebrate or romanticize the killing of civilians.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and so I didn't like that. Standing in, in solidarity with the Palestinian people as they resist is nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. And as a nascent sovereign, as a young, emerging sovereign state, Hamas has the right to resist military occupation. And let's be very clear Palestinians have the legal right not just the natural right, but the legal right to resist. They can use violence to resist. They're under military occupation. It is not illegal to resist, but re- but you have limits on how you can resist. Mm-hmm. Again, if you punch me in the face, I have a right even by this law to punch you back and to defend myself. I don't have a right to pull out a knife or a bazooka and blow you away depends with the what, gun. It depends you had though. You're in Florida. You can do facts. Stay in the ground. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know what I mean? that, that's very true. Yeah. That, that That's very true, Right. Um, but even in, even in there, it's limits. Like I think in Florida, you can't be black and do it, right? I don't know if that's on the books, but right. yeah. I can't. But that's sort of <laughs> how we treat Palestinians, right? Oh, international law says you can. I wrote a book called "Except for Palestine," mm-hmm. and part of the point is all these rules work except for Palestine. Mm-hmm. Every other sovereign state has a right to defend itself, and when you're under illegal military or in, when you're in a military occupation, when you're in illegal occupation, when you're, uh, it's a daily form of violence that legally you can defend yourself. But what you can't do is kill civilians. And so when I see people, if I see somebody, whether it's BLM or anybody else, romanticizing the killing of civilians, I say no. I say that's wrong. I say that doesn't help our cause. But I don't want to pretend that the only strategy that black folk have or the only strategy that Palestinians have or the only strategy that any people have is nonviolence. This idea that Palestinians are supposed to just sit there as they get beaten and shot and killed is ridiculous.
2: Why, Why do you think you don't hear that much of that story? Of of which part of the of the, because uh, I mean you hear more about Hamas, you hear more about what you know Israel, but you never hear oh, yeah. that part of the story
3: because it's again they do the same thing here with us, right? Like there's stories when violence happens. I no disrespect to the New Black Panther Party, but there, there's about twelve people in the New Black Panther Party. But if you were to watch watch Fox News, you would think. That all the people at all the people in Ferguson marching, and all the people in Minnesota marching, that it was these 12 people that said the craziest, wildest stuff were the representatives of all black people. They always take a a a, a one slice of a of a people and tell that and make that the whole story. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they pick it the, they pull at the threads that are easiest mm-hmm. to pull at. Mm-hmm. So that becomes part of the reason. The other part of the reason is um, we've never represented the Middle East or Africa. In ways that show their humanity, we've always shown them as 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 uncivilized, mm-hmm. as violent, as un uh, as unprepared for democracy, and that's how you end up here in the first place. Um, but we need to tell those stories. That's our job. Mm-hmm. That's our job to tell the story of the occupation, tell the story of suffering, to tell the story of misery. Because if we don't do that, then then we're we're complicit. That's why when those 18 human rights organizations stood up and said Israel is an apartheid state, that there that there are different rights given to some folk versus other folk based on who they are. That is the definition of apartheid. It's not, it doesn't have to look just like South Africa. It has to be based on, on a system of, higher, of racialized hierarchy or other forms of hierarchy. And it is. So when those nations came out and said that, people started paying attention. It, it's in many ways frustrating for me because I feel like we were just starting to turn a corner where people were noticing the injustices in Palestine. People were starting to speak out against what was happening. People were starting to say, wait a minute. Israel also has to do something. Political candidates were running. Like Bernie Sanders is saying, look, we can't give unconditional aid to anybody, but not not even Israel. Israel has to not have human rights violations for us to keep giving them our money. This is where the conversation was turning. And this moment creates, unfortunately for me, an opportunity to say, look, we don't have to hold Israel accountable for anything. We can only focus
1: on Palestinians. And I think everybody, everybody needs to be held accountable. I guess I keep getting slightly confused because we talk about Hamas and Palestinian citizens, and I wonder if that if that's fair. And the reason I say that because it feels like Hamas is willing to sacrifice the Palestinian people because they have to know you're not going to win a war with Israel. They had to know when they committed that act of terror what the response was going to be, and they had to know that so many innocent Palestinians were going to be killed because of it. You know, it's it's
3: an interesting question. I asked that very question to Osama Hamdan, who's one of the who's a senior spokesman for. Uh, for uh, Hamas, I asked, I had him on my Al Jazeera show last week, as well as an Israeli official, and I asked him that very question. Mm-hmm. I said, "If you know your response is going to be this, why would you do that?" Yeah. There, there's an interesting set of questions, uh, responses today. He didn't he didn't say this. He he avoided the question. But my response would be one: I'm not sure they knew that they'd be this successful. I don't. I think they they, they thought the Israeli intelligence, and Israeli military, would be better prepared for this. Uh, for for this. Uh. For this attack, than they than they than they were, and I think Israel is and I think Jonathan's basically said that, like mm-hmm. everybody was a little surprised by this. They may have underestimated uh, Hamas's capability, and Hamas may have overestimated Israel's capability, at least in that moment. So I think part of it was they weren't plan, they weren't prepared for this to be. They they didn't think they'd get this many hostages. They didn't think they'd be able to, uh, breed, it, you know, to kind of get past the barrier and 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 kill that many people. So I think some of this might have been, this is me speculating now, I think some of this might have been, oh shit, we in? Oh shit, like we mm-hmm. here? Oh, let's figure this out. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing is I, I think what they would say to you is we're dying now slowly and yes, this may cause an act of extraordinary, disproportionate retaliation by Israel, but at least we have an opportunity to change the conditions on the ground. At least the world is watching. At least we have an opportunity to do something else. Do I think that's the right decision? No, I don't. I think that's a terrible political calculation and I don't think that you can sacrifice civilians Mm -hmm. in the interest of this. I just don't think you can do that. But I also understand that if we do nothing at all, if we do nothing at all under occupation, if we do nothing at all under slavery, if we do nothing at all under any gross uh, uh, system of injustice, our oppressors don't just free us. Mm -hmm. And Palestinians were dying anyway. They're being ethnically cleansed anyway. They're being taken off their land anyway. And so— there's no reason to believe that if Hamas had just sat on their hands, that things would have gotten better. So we can have a critique of Hamas and say, hey, that was wrong. But we also have to recognize that it's not like things were getting fixed and Hamas went and messed them up. Mm-hmm. They were dying anyway. Palestinians are dying every single day. Those hospitals already don't have enough power. People die, those hospitals are death camps anyway. And right now, And just think about this again. Israel is turning off all the electricity. All the fuel, the hospital, the international representative from the Red Cross, the International Red Cross said that this hospital will be a graveyard if Israel doesn't give them energy. And when I spoke to Israeli officials about this directly, they said, well, talk to Hamas about that.
1: Damn. Can you explain Hamas's relationship to the Palestinian government? Or is Hamas Ta- the Palestinian government? I don't- Palestinian is, pal- got, uh, Hamas is the
3: Palestinian government government effectively in Gaza. In Gaza, okay, okay. So so basically... So they had a leadership in Gaza? Too, in Gaza. Okay, in but Gaza, okay. but So there's a Palestinian authority, a Palestinian national authority. Okay. In 1993, they effect, uh, the Palestinian national authority became the, the ruling government or the ruling authority and representative of the Palestinian people. Mm-hmm. This was part of the Oslo Accords, which was an attempt to create a two-state solution. And so they said, okay, the PLO... Uh, is working the Palestinian Liberation Organization, who they used to call terrorists, mm-hmm. right? They say, you know what? We'll recognize them as the as the uh, as the as the uh, representatives of the Palestinian people, um, and then we're going to have elections, and parties can run. Fatah is one of the parties, right? And they're the party that rules in the West Bank. That's that's every that's the West Bank of the Jordan River. That's all the land that was occupied in the after the 1967 war. That's that's them, and then Gaza had elections. And Fatah ran then, there too. They did not win. They lost by a fairly slim margin. The elections were contested. And at some point, but Hamas won. And so then what you saw is, what you wanted to see was a unity government. That didn't happen. Part of why the unity government didn't happen was the US and Israel undermined it. But at the end of the day, you now have uh, Hamas running this part of the, of, of, of Palestine um, and you have another party running, Fatah running uh, the other part of, of Palestine. And that is why you have some challenges. But what's interesting is when we're fighting over Jerusalem as a global community, Muslims, Christians, when we're fighting over Jerusalem, we're talking about Jerusalem, we're talking about the status of Jerusalem, that doesn't have anything to do with Hamas. That has to do with with, with, with uh, Mahmoud Abbas. It has to do with, with this party in the West Bank. When we're talking about uh, an apartheid wall being built throughout the West Bank, when we're talking about the treatment of people in Ramallah, when we're talking about a pogrom committed in, 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 um, in, in the West Bank in a Palestinian village, By Israeli military general standards all that ain't got nothing to do with hamas hamas is like they become almost like a boogeyman that we can talk about when we should be talking about all these other issues there are legitimate Palestinian representatives who they also have refused to meet with there are legitimate negotiations that could happen that they've also refused to have so hamas in some ways is saying look the rest of our leadership is sold out we're going to hold the line here again it doesn't mean i agree with their tactics but 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 again it didn't start from nowhere part of why hamas has some of the admiration of the people is because they're the only people who haven't capitulated, and so and they can't vote for anybody else. Mm-hmm. So so this is this is the challenge of it. So so the Palestinian leadership is even divided based on where they are, and the reason why that happened is because again Israel and the Oslo Accords divided the Palestinian ter- territories up in a way that Palestinians don't have one cohesive, uh, contiguous piece of land with access to water, all the things you would need for a country. They put them broke them up in these little ghettos so that they can never have a full. A, a, a full body representing them, both geographically or politically. So, when well,
1: Israel is waging war, is is it just contained to Gaza, that one area? It is right now. Although,
3: okay. as of the, the last report I saw, seven people were killed in the West Bank too, but um, by, by Israeli forces. But but uh, but yeah, right now it's only happening in Gaza. Okay. And we've also seen things happen when you hear clashes in Aqsa Mosque. That's happening in the West Bank. That's happening mm-hmm. in occupied East Jerusalem. When you hear about. Uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 Goldstein, uh, a, a, a settler from Brooklyn who came and, and engaged in a massacre at the Ibrahim Mosque uh, in, in Khalil in Hebron in the 90s, uh, that was in the West Bank. Um, and, and, and the military clashes that came after that were, were there. So there's, it really just depends on where you're talking about at a given moment. But right now we're talking about just the Gaza Strip, which is a very specific strip of land uh, with, within the region. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people are up north. Right. In Gaza City. And right now they're being told, go to the southern part of the country. Um, that's another important thing, because part, part of what people say is Israel has the most restraint. They have the most uh, restraint driven military in, in the world. They give people warnings before they bomb them. Mm. They tell people. So they do have what's called a, a roof knocking strategy where they say, well, you know, we'll, we'll knock on the roof and in three minutes later with, with we'll drop a non explosive on your roof. And then you have like three minutes to leave. Before we blow blow it up, that's not a lot of time. Second, uh, they've they've gotten rid of that strategy. They say, well, if, if to the point you made earlier, if Hamas ain't knocking, we ain't knocking. We just yeah. blowing shit up now.
2: Also, um, well, see, I, you know, my question to that too, because if you knock on the door and it's Hamas, Hamas knows now you're gonna bomb me, so they know that to get the hell out. So I, I, I don't, that doesn't make much sense at all, either. the, the, the argument was because a lot because they say a lot of people that that Hamas is what even what Jonathan Greenblatt said was. They, they're setting up in churches. They're setting up in hospitals. They're setting up in schools. They're setting up in I, I, I
3: have I have yet to see uh, intelligence reports that say that.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: The problem is they say Hamas is everywhere. They say Hamas is everywhere and they have tunnels everywhere. So then when you blow up a school, that school is filled with children. And they say, well, yeah, but Hamas was in there. They, they, the narrative is constructed as if Palestinian people stand in front of their babies with guns and, so, and force you to kill both of them. Right? That's the narrative. Right? Um, History and intelligence reports don't necessarily suggest that. That oftentimes uh, what is seen as a military target often is just a civilian target. I mean, one of the classic examples historically is the bombing of the King David Hotel. And they say, oh, it was a British military target. That that, is, that Israeli terrorist blew up, right? Turns out it wasn't. And historians have it wasn't a military target. There were civilians in there, right? These are the things that happen. Schools are getting bombed. Hospitals are getting bombed. Homes are getting leveled. I spoke to a, a woman whose entire family, 11 people in that in that house were killed when the apartment was leveled last week. And none of them were military. None of them were members of Hamas. But this idea of saying, well, we had to blow it up because Hamas, is basically saying Hamas stands in civilian areas and forces us to kill everybody. Um, but there's no evidence of that. But again, international law doesn't say you can just do that. You can't just arbitrarily do that. And you can't move 1.1 million people to the South in, a, in 24 hours and, at the same time that you shoot down the corridor to get them there, and you sh- and you're shooting at, at transport vehicles, they transport people from the north to the south. If all that is happening, you can't in good faith say that we we gave everybody a warning, mm-hmm. as if all the civilians were going to leave to the south and Hamas is going to be standing up in the north like, hey, here we are, come get us, right? Like that's not realistic. It's not honest, mm-hmm. and we have to be honest about that. And and honestly, Antonio Guterres the head of the UN. Um, Other nations are beginning to say that. They're saying, look, this is disproportionate force. This is too much. You can't blow up all the hospitals. You have to give people food. You have to give people electricity. And the fact that we're sitting here right now having a fight over whether or not Palestinians can get food, clothing, shelter, electricity, fuel is absurd. Thousands of Palestinians have been killed, and we're pretending like it's just okay. Mm -hmm. And it's not.
1: Yeah, I wonder about that, too. Like, why do people have to be pro-Israel or pro-Palestine? Like... I'm pro. I don't want to see kids get killed. I'm pro. I don't want to see innocent civilians. Civilians, killed. innocent I'm, people. Yeah. I'm anti-war. Like, why does why do people have to pick a side? Like, I don't understand. Like,
3: I'll tell you why. Um, at this moment, we can all say we don't want violence. Mm-hmm. I agree. It, you don't even have to know about the issue and be like, look, I just don't want to see anybody die. That's where I'm at at this moment. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see another Israeli child dead. I don't want to see another Palestinian child dead. I don't want to see anybody die, not just children, adults. I don't want nobody to die. But the problem is, if you say that you are pro-Israel as it is currently constituted, then you are saying that you are in support of a government that is systematically colonizing people, that is systematically displacing people, that is systematically stealing people's land that is systematically, ethnically cleansing people, as we see in Gaza right now. If those people leave Gaza and can't come back, they've been ethnically cleansed, right? Um, well, and you
1: say you pro-Palestine, then they'll say you pro-Hamas. Here's the difference.
3: If I say I'm pro-Hamas, I'm saying I'm pro-Hamas, right? I can be pro-Palestinian and, and support Palestinian self-determination and still disagree with Hamas. The problem is Israel, as it is constructed, Israel, as it is defined, Israel, by its own definition, is not a state of all of its citizens by virtue of being a Jewish state and by virtue of, of giving people different rights based on whether or not they are Jewish, by virtue of the fact that Palestinians have um, different uh, rights and privileges, even those who are citizens of Israel. Arab citizens of Israel have different rights and rules. And they'll say that's a lie. There, there, there are Palestinians in, in our Knesset. They're Palestinian members in the Supreme Court. Palestinians have the exact same rights. There are about 60 laws on the books that that show a difference um, either facially or in practice in terms of how people get treated based on whether or not they are uh, uh, Arab or not, even for Arab citizens of Israel. Right now, people in the West Bank don't have rights and freedoms. So the way Israel is constructed, it is by definition operating against the interests of Palestinian people. That's the difference. It would be like saying I'm not anti-Indian. I'm just pro-United States. Mm-hmm. That'd be a hell of a thing to tell a Native American,
1: mm-hmm.
3: right? Because the United States, by definition, by its construction, is created in a way that, that, that stomps on the rights of Native Americans here. So I can't say to someone, I can't look a Native American in the eye and say, well, I'm not, I don't pick a side. I'm neutral on this, right? I, I like Native Americans, and I, and, I, and I love what America created. Like, nah, bro, like you got to pick one on that, right? And so it doesn't mean, though, that I have to hate Israelis or that I have to hate Jewish people. I don't hate either. I want everyone to live in peace, safety, dignity, self-determination and justice. And that, that's important to be said.
1: I guess that's why I don't like yeah. conflating the two Hamas and Palestinians cuz Hamas charter literally does say they want to destroy Israel and kill Jewish people. That was that was that, that was
3: their char- that was their charter and I think that we can have an opposition to Hamas's charter. Mm-hmm. I think we can have an opposition to Hamas all the way and still support the Palestinian people again Hamas is a government and an organization—they're not the Palestinian people, right? I think that's what the confusion is. But mm-hmm. but but, and and I think we can have a disagreement with the Israeli government, mm-hmm. right? And I, I could say, hey, I there there are, there are Israelis, there are Zionists, there are Jewish people here who say, look, I don't agree with the Israeli government, but I I I I disagree with the government, but I, I support the government's right to exist. I hear you. What I'm saying is, is that the Jewish state as it's constructed right now is Israel as it's constructed right now and as it was designed since 1948. Was constructed in a way that 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 depended upon the ethnic cleansing of Palestinian people, the settler colonizing of of Palestinian people, and the continued uh a uh, uh, dispossession of Palestinian people. And so that's the difference. This isn't about whether I agree with the government or not. Everybody has governments. Israel shouldn't be held to a higher standard or a lower standard. Israel should be held to the same standard as all governments. You can critique them. You can you can agree with them. You can support them. You can resist them. You can do all that stuff. I'm not against that. But I'm saying right now, Palestinian people have been dispossessed. They have been made stateless. They have been made refugees in their own home and, and they've been made refugees around the world. And it's only getting worse. And so what we have to do right now is not just ask, how can we stop this violence? Which we should. I hope the violence stops tomorrow. But if we go back to the way we were two weeks ago, that also is an act of gross uh, uh, of irresponsibility and really violence of, on our part because Palestinians are, are getting treated like animals every single day.
2: Somebody might say, well, well why are you so passionate about this? What, you know, because you, you've been passionate about this for a long time yeah. now. So if somebody asked, well, why is Mark Lamont Hill so passionate? What would you tell them?
3: A couple of reasons. Um, as an American citizen, my tax dollars go to it. Mm-hmm. I don't make as much money as y'all, but my, I pay a significant amount of taxes. So I feel like I even more, I'm even more culpable. My money goes to funding this occupation. I'm, I'm responsible for it mm-hmm. as an American citizen. As a black person, I believe in justice everywhere. I, I, the week before I was grilling the Israeli minister and the Hamas minister, I was grilling a minister in, in of Azerbaijan because I'm worried about what's happening to people there. Right. So it's not just Israel. Israel shouldn't be shouldn't be isolated. We should be focused on injustice everywhere. Mm-hmm. But the reason in particular why this issue comes to me is one, as, as somebody who studies the Middle East, it's a fascinating issue to me. But also we don't give everybody four billion dollars a year. You know what I mean? I might be pissed off at what's going on in Uzbekistan, but we don't put that much money in in Uzbeki wallets. Right. So I don't even I think that's how you say it. So <laughs> like, so, so that, so that's, that's part of it as well. Also, there's a long history of solidarity of Palestinian people with black folks. Some people they don't care about us. That's not true. Now it's, there's some stuff we got to work out, but Malcolm X cared about this issue. Malcolm X is my hero. So when Malcolm X cared about this issue, when he wrote an a issue, a, a, a piece on this in the Egyptian Gazette called Zionist Logic, uh, I cared in, in the fall of 64. I cared because Malcolm cared Malcolm, and when you, everybody here, go back and listen to the message to the grassroots when Malcolm is talking about what a revolution looks like. And he was talking about us being connected globally, mm-hmm. right? That's why I care about this issue. The Black Panthers cared about this issue. SNCC cared about this issue in the summer of 67. There's a lot of people, Black freedom fighters who we admire. People say, be like Malcolm, be like Asada. People want to march and, and be like Huey. People want to be like Angela. They all cared about Palestine. Mm-hmm. So... I'm following that tradition, but I'm not doing it blindly. They understood that our freedom, our liberation as a people had to require, it demanded us to be connected to people in other other places who are oppressed. I can't get free if Palestine ain't free. I can't get free if South Africa ain't free. And unfortunately that fight toward freedom will always alienate you, it'll always make you look marginal, it'll always make you look like the bad guy. Nelson Mandela spent 30 years in prison. He was in prison from 1964 until 1990. He became the president of South Africa. And he still was on the United States terror watch list until 2018. Until 2008. We had a black president here. And he was still on the terror list. He had been the president of a state. He'd been hailed around the world. He'd been at the Olympics. Everybody loved him. Everybody pretended that they didn't criminalize. Him. And he was still on our country's terror list. Mm-hmm. So we got to be real careful about who we call a terrorist. Mm-hmm. We got to be real mindful of how we use that language of terror. Because one person's terrorist is another person's freedom fighter. And that's not going to be taken out of context that I'm saying that I support what Hamas did. Again, I oppose what Hamas did. I oppose the killing of civilians. But what we're not going to do is pretend that... that that. Oppressed people getting liberated by resisting violence in self-defense is an act of terrorism. As such, we can't do that either.
1: Can you explain the relationship between America and Israel? Because you said you know America gives them four billion dollars a year. Why are they such strong allies? It's,
3: it's it's a great question. You know, and it's a question that lots of people ask. Um, you know, it's a relatively so. So initially, the, the strongest support of, of, of Israel was 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 the, were the British. Right. Um, but then by this 1970s, certainly 1980s, and I talk about this in my book, except for Palestine, a, a lot. And there's other people who write about this much better than me. Uh, Rashid Khalidi has a book called uh, The 100 Years War. Uh, Nord Arakat has a book called, um, uh, Injustice for, uh, Justice for Some, excuse me, Justice for Some. And there's many others, uh, Ilan Pape and others. I'd say read the Palestinians before you read me. Um, and, and the Israelis before you read me. But, um, there's a way that the United states I, I I'll get to the heart of it the u s doesn't have feelings it has interests. We watch violent atrocities happen in certain places and we don't say anything. We watch a small atrocity and all atrocities are awful happen in other places. I'm not talking about Israel right now mm-hmm. um and we're outraged. Our outrage meter doesn't link to the it isn't doesn't directly correspond to what people did. It corresponds to what we need, mm. right? There's certain places where we, like, oh, we got to go there and liberate the women, right? But that right now we're best friends with Saudi Arabia, which has a, a gross human rights record, particularly against women. And you talk about beheadings, look at Saudi Arabia, right? They killed a journalist, uh, uh, Jamal Khashoggi, five years ago. We're on the anniversary of that, so we don't have. We're selective. Israel operates as the United States' strategic outpost. So there's a friendly relationship between U.S. and Israel, but it also serves the U.S.'s military interests because the, U, the U.S. wants a stake in the Middle East just like everybody wants a stake in the Middle East. And now you have the opportunity to have a nation that's not brown. N- let me be clear. Israel is ma- it still has a majority of, of Mizrahi Jews there. I'm not suggesting that Israel is not a brown country and that Israel doesn't have brown Jews. The majority are Mizrahi at this point. But my point is, is that Israel at its founding isn't an Arab country. And so being able to have to be an Arab territory, and to have an Arab, a non-Arab country that's your strategic outpost makes a lot of military sense. It makes a lot of economic sense for the United States, and of course, the United for Israel, the United States, uh, serves a great purpose. It, it it gives them military backing, it gives them money. Now, you know, there's a long history of the United States and the UK not wanting Jewish people here, so part of it was also animated by anti-Semitism. Is that it was? It was almost as if they said, "Look, we'll allow Israel to exist because we don't want Jewish people here." Mm. So the same. So if you look at U.S. immigration law through the 20th century, they didn't want Jews here, they didn't want uh, Irish people here, they didn't want Russians here. They lots of we were already here; they had no choice. But like they didn't want any of us here. And so part of why it was easy for the UK to give for for the British to give um, Israel. To to, to, to to the Zionist movement was because they didn't want Jews in, in Britain because of anti-Semitism. And the and, and Ameri- and Americans didn't want them either. So part of the, the, at the beginning, was like, we don't want them here anyway, and now they've, they've, they've surged strategic interests. Again, that's anti-Semitic, it's deeply problematic, um, but that's part of the origin story of why we got into these political relationships that we got into.
1: And is the two-state solution the solution? I don't believe so, okay.
3: um, but I think it's up to Palestinians and Israelis to decide that. I, th- I want them to come up with a a, a final uh, analysis and a final plan that works for them. Mm-hmm. And I think the best plan that we could have is a, is a one-state solution, one country. Everybody gets one vote. It's secular. It's not a religious state. It's not a Jewish state, so it's not an Islamic state. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a secular democracy where everybody gets a vote. To me, that's fair. That's easy. Again, two-state doesn't work because settlements. Two-state doesn't work because Palestinians won't get their rights protected. Um, so for me, it's a, it's a secular democratic one-state solution. But you know what? It ain't up to me. Mm-hmm. As an American taxpayer, all I want to do is not fund it anymore. And I want the final um, plan to come from Israelis and Palestinians who can work together to figure out a plan. But that plan has to be one that has one thing is non-negotiable. The one non-negotiable that it has to be is that it has to produce dignity, safety, justice, security, and self-determination for everybody. I don't want anybody to leave. I don't think anybody needs to leave. I think everybody needs to stay and get those rights, the justice and that self-determination. That's my my analysis.
1: All right. Well,
2: I hope we get there. Well, ladies and gentlemen, inshallah. No more bloodshed, no more war. Well, we appreciate you coming in and breaking it down.
3: Yeah, I appreciate everything about this show. I appreciate what y'all are doing, man. Only thing I say real quick is Charlamagne is is trolling with that hat. I'm not. It's, just repping my squad. That's all. Yeah, and this is what I mean. Like you, you gotta pick a side, man. Like you're not <laughs> from, you're not
1: from Dallas. Like you you, you literally
3: but, signed with the enemy.
1: But no, when I grew up in South Carolina, we didn't have a team. So like my dad and my granddad, they were all Cowboys fans. They're America's team. Do you see do you hear the you hear the
3: propaganda
2: Well, at least, you know, earlier in the year he was buying Super Bowl tickets and he was getting his hotels oh, and flights, but that's Who'd you who'd you who,
3: who'd who want to see there?
2: Who want to see our show? Uh, that's my, you want to see the <laughs> halftime show. The <laughs> our
1: show? Cowboys going to the Super Bowl. I day, well, oh, they probably sit next to us up in the up in the
2: here. One more question. Ask the question. What question? That's number eight. Why you want me to ask nobody, but I'll ask I don't care. I don't care me neither.
1: I, 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 I am interested in what Marcus. yeah We have Vlad up here, it. and Vlad was uh, too. Ah, I hate that guy. Go ahead. Jesus Christ, I didn't want that reaction. All right, well. Did he have his badge on? All right,
2: look. <laughs> wow. his, his,
3: his, I, I know what he said. I watch his show every day. It was about Callan okay. and Drake. I know That's what he it. said. I know what he said. It's the one time he agreed. I, I actually hated to agree with him. Really? Oh, you agree That they should say something? Yeah. Hell yeah, they should say something. Really? If you are, it's, it's yes, more Callan than Drake Really? Yeah, more Cal than Drake. Why? Because they never talk about social issues, ever. I know, and I have an issue with that. I have an issue with anybody. I don't think every famous person has to say something about everything. Mm -hmm. But if your people are being exterminated, if your people are being executed, if your people are being killed, whatever the circumstances, I think you got to say something. He's like the most, damn near the most famous Palestinian in the world, if... I were the most famous black person, if any of us were the most famous black person in the world, the most famous black person in the world, and black people were being killed in our country, and nobody said anything, I would be deeply disturbed. I don't know what, and the reason I'm I'm not letting Drake off the hook, you know what I mean? There's plenty of reasons to have issues with Drake. I've had issues with Drake for last month, but none of them about none of them political is all about the, you know, stuff, his framing of gender in his out al- on his album and his treatment of everybody from Halle Berry you know, we're going down this. That's another conversation. Um but for me, I don't know how Drake identifies in terms of his politics. I don't know how he identifies as, as a Jewish person. I don't know how he identifies. I know he identifies racially as a black person. And so I don't know how connected he is ethnically, culturally or politically to that issue. If he is, then he should speak up, too. I just don't know Drake's Vlad story. said
2: he had a bar mitzvah when he was at, of age. And, you know, he, yeah. was, he talks about a lot of it.
3: But, but the problem is that argument presumes that because I'm Jewish, I have to be pro-Israel. And there are numerous Jewish people around the world who, aren't, who are Jewish and not pro-Israel. Mm-hmm. I don't think. Drake has a responsibility pro- to be pro-Israel. I think I'd love for him to say something about it, mm-hmm. whatever wherever he stands on this issue. But but Khaled, yeah, man. and, and yeah. Khaled's
1: none of those things either, though. Khaled's not connected culturally. Or he went,
3: I've seen him wear the kaffee. I've seen him do oh, stuff. Yeah, okay, yeah okay, I've okay, seen okay. him be outside Palestinian. Okay. He don't lead with it because it's not great for business to walk mm-hmm. around saying you're Palestinian. Someone argued, that's a, that's a problem. I'm not here to judge that. All I'm mm-hmm. going to say is I would have liked to hear him say something. And the fact, that the leading hip-hop cop journalist, Vlad and I, on the same page on this issue, should suggest to you how morally egregious it is that even he, that he and I are on the same page on this thing. When they do, though, what? Then what? Like, if they do, then what? Like, what is that? I mean, I think that's always the question, right? I mean, like, what what, what happens when the NBA speaks out against such and such, mm-hmm. right? I, I do think that there's power in that. Part of it is awareness. There are people who will never watch this video. There are people, and everybody watches The Breakfast Club, but just people who won't watch The Breakfast Club but will listen to DJ Khaled's Instagram story. Mm-hmm. That's why it matters. It's the same reason why when the NBA players wore uh, Hands Up, Don't Shoot, or Black Lives Matter, it mattered because they reached a sector of the world that wouldn't otherwise know that story. When LeBron and D. Wade and Chris Paul said stuff, that shit mattered because people cared.
1: Right.
3: You know what I mean? When Beyonce was talking about, you know, you know and, and again, I didn't need her to give a press conference, but what Beyonce did was extraordinary, given her platform. And so, if and, and the difference is, there's a lot of black people that can speak. There are uh, a, a, a lot of people who are Jewish who can speak. There's lots of people who are Indian who can speak. But how many people in the United States right now who are Palestinian have the platform to call it? Maybe Gigi Hadid, maybe who spoke out, right? There's one or two people, but in general, there's not really a space for that. So I'm not. I mean, it's not just California. Any 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 of them who are Palestinian, any of them who are, who have a platform should speak up. And I and I and I'm not putting that just on Palestinians. I'm saying that for Black folk too. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying the stakes are even higher because it ain't but five Palestinians in, in, in Hollywood. You know, there's a million Black folk. Mm-hmm. So I just feel like the,
1: you got to do it. I you guess if you. they want to, my thing would be pass the microphone to somebody who knows what they're talking about.
3: I'd be I'd be and okay that's what with I that. Care about. I'd be okay with that if Khaled said, "Look, I don't know enough about this issue, but I want to bring these people together, and make it happen." But he's he's moving as if it didn't happen, and it's weird or to me. Or at least on social media, We don't know what he's doing behind the scenes. Th- that's fair enough. Mm-hmm. I- I'm pretty connected to the Palestinian movement. I, I ain't heard one person yet say he- that he's doing something. I ain't heard one. That's not to say he's not. Mm-hmm. I ain't heard one yet. But again, I'm not Palestinian. It's not my job to tell him what to do with his people or for his people. I'm just saying I was. I share Vlad's disappointment that um, that I haven't heard anything from Khaled. And social media is reality for a lot of people. Khaled gives us a narrative of his life, what's going on, what's going on in his world. And if you're selling a product, while Two thousand of your people have been killed, fifteen hundred people have been killed. That feels that feels gross to me. Mm. It feels a little gross to me. Mm. Like, like even if you didn't want to speak up, if, if if a um if a if an all black neighborhood got got bombed today and you said I don't I Charlemagne or I Envy, don't feel like talking about it, I bet you, you wouldn't go in your story and be like, yo, check out check out my check out the trailer for my new documentary today on such and such or check out my new book. You just you you would have the decency to do nothing. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying part of what happens is when you move as if nothing is happening while the world is blowing up. I think it's it's it communicates even more so that this isn't worth caring about. We already have a media that does that. We already have intellectual infrastructure that does that. We have a legal apparatus that does that. We don't need people who look like us doing that. That's all I'm saying. But that's, again, Kyle might disagree, and, and I respect, I would just respectfully disagree.
2: All right. Well, Mark Lamont Hill? Yes. It's the Breakfast Club. Make sure you're going to get them books, too, man, except, except pa- for Palestine.
1: That's right. Wake that ass up Earth, in the morning. The Breakfast Club.
0: We are deeply grateful and thank the Breakfast Club Power 105.1 FM. And that was a broadcast with Mark Lamont Hill. I'm Kent Garrett from the Last Negroes at Harvard Daily Podcast. Thank you for joining us.